0: Ezra Fieldsmeyer.
1: And I'm Marty Harding, and welcome back to another episode of Animation
0: and Beyond. Yes, and on this episode, in honor of a new movie out, we're going to talk about the Night at the Museum films.
1: There are four of them. As of recently, on Friday, the fourth Night at the Museum movie, which is entirely animated, came out.
0: Yep, I know, and they're loosely based on a children's picture book.
1: That's right, little known, because... I think the story got really famous when the Ben Stiller movie came out, but they were based on a picture book, and so the story was inspired by that children's book. Yeah, that's right. But before we get into the movies, we are going to do an actor feature on one of the actors from this new
0: movie. That's famous comedian Steve Coogan.
1: That's right. Steve Kogan is famous for a lot of things in a lot of different genres. He's primarily a comedian, but he's also done a variety of serious adult films, including Philomena, Alan Partridge, Stan and Ollie,
0: The 24-Hour Party People, and The Lost King. As well as things like Ella Enchanted and Marmaduke. But I know as animated voices, probably famous for being voicing characters in Despicable Me 2 and 3, and Minions and Minions, The Rise of Gru, as well as The Secret Life of Pets.
1: That's right. So he has a voice acting career as well. Very versatile actor. Which of these roles stands out to you, Ezra? Hmm.
0: Like when he played S- Silas Ramsbottom in Despicable Me 2 and 3 and in Minions, The Rise of Gru.
1: What's the persona or the personality of Silas Ramsbottom?
0: The head of the anti-villain league, I remember.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I would say Steve Co- Coogan has a really excellent villain voice. He it's kind of very low and domineering and he's got a he's got a British accent, right? Yep, I know. Yeah, so something about that Manchester accent because he was born in Manchester in the UK, something about that accent makes him, you know, a great villain. Or maybe it's just the way he talks. Maybe it's not his accent. But whatever it is, His voice is very spooky and he often plays villains.
0: I know. I remember he played like Ozone in The Secret Life of Pets. Which one was Ozone? The hairless cat, I remember, who took Maxiduke's collars.
1: Oh, that's right. So another villainous character. Yeah. You know, I always wonder with
0: people who play a lot
1: of villains, if they choose to be the villain or if they would rather not be the villain or if they feel kind of impartial to it. Because, you know, it it doesn't say that you're a bad person if you get cast as a villain. But I have to wonder about if you get cast over and over and over again as a villain, if that makes you feel a certain way about it, you know? Yeah. Do you think you would feel a little bit sad if you got cast repeatedly as a villain, Ezra?
0: I guess I would want to play both a good guy and a villain. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and Steve Coogan definitely does both, but he does play a lot of villains. People can go through their whole career never playing a villain. Yeah, I agree. Anything else you want to say about Steve
0: Coogan? He's a funny guy who makes a lot of people laugh. This is true, and
1: he's made a lot of different people and a lot of different audiences laugh, too. Be it adults or teenagers or kids in animated movies or in live-action movies, he's got quite the resume. I know. Great. Great. So let's move on into our feature presentation. Yeah. I remember seeing the first Night of the Museum movie with Ben Stiller and thinking it was the most clever story I had ever seen.
0: Yeah, it was like exhibits in a museum coming to life at night. So it's kind of like Toy Story, but in a museum. Yeah, which
1: makes which gives it a totally different dynamic, right? Because these are real things. These are, you know, historical figures like Teddy Roosevelt or a Tyrannosaurus Rex or Joan of Arc. You know, these are historical figures that you know so much about the life of, but you never expect to meet them in person.
0: Yeah, I know. So
1: just to recap, the plot of the first night at the museum is that Ben Stiller's character, what's his name again? Larry. Larry Daly gets a role as the night guard at the Smithsonian, and he gets a brief tour from the old night guard of all of the exhibits, and then the night guard says, "Be sure not to let anything in or out." What
0: does he mean by that, Ezra? Make sure nothing, nobody sneaks into the museum, and no one and nothing escapes the museum.
1: Yeah, but did you get the impression that that meant that the old night guard was aware of how things came to life?
0: Yes, I remember that. Yes. I know this movie takes place in the Smithsonian Natural History Museum in New York City. Yes, and so Ben Stiller's character gets the job. Then he discovers that all coming to life. The first thing that comes to life is the dinosaur T-Rex bone.
1: Yes, which is quite a frightening first character to encounter.
0: Yes, and then mammoths and other animals, and even prehistoric animals. That's right, from the African Mammals Exhibit. Yeah.
1: And a whole bunch of other things
0: that are preserved there. Like the like the Easter Island head and little figures of like Romans.
1: Yes. And a monkey that is really funny. Who was
0: named Dexter.
1: Mm-hmm. So all of these things come to life and it makes for an interesting story. What what what's the general uh challenge that Larry Daly has to overcome in the first movie?
0: When they all come to life, like when he meets Theodore Roosevelt, played by the late Robin Williams.
1: Well, what about the characters who scare him at first, Ezra?
0: They start off as antagonists, but they become his friends. Yeah, the characters are
1: kind of villains at first, and as he gets more adjusted to them, their relationship grows more positive.
0: Yes, I know, and they also become friends with his son.
1: That's right, because Larry brings his son nick to work which is important for the fourth one
0: yes i know and i remember jebediah the cowboy figure was played by owen wilson
1: yes owen wilson an iconic actor featured as a cowboy which he often plays and most famous for the voice of lightning mcqueen in the
0: cars franchise
1: of course okay what about the second night at the museum ezra what happens in that one
0: the second film, Battle for the Smithsonian, the Larry's friends who are all exhibits go uh, get moved to a museum that's part of the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C.
1: That's right. And what challenge did they encounter there?
0: The evil. Um, the evil Kamunra, played by Hank Azaria, who's the brother of Kamenra. That's
1: right. So the second movie has a clear villain, where all of the characters from the Smithsonian are now working together.
0: Yes, and there's a from who's the good Egyptian pharaoh, but then he has an evil brother, Kamunra, who wanted to take over the world. Yes, starting with the museum. I know, he was in... I remember, uh, like, when Larry meets Amelia Earhart, played by Amy Adams.
1: That's right, another famous character, played by a famous actor.
0: Yes, and Robin Williams reprised his role as Theodore Roosevelt. I forgot to mention Dick Van Dyke was not what played Cecil in the first film, and Cecil returned as a minor character in the third one.
1: That's right, and what's the plot of the third one?
0: Oh, I forgot to mention in the second film, I like the funny cameo of of Darth Vader from Star Wars with Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street.
1: Yeah, that's right. They added more characters to the museum crew, which was kind of fun.
0: And I liked how there was another monkey, Dexter meets named Abel, who was an astronaut monkey.
1: Right, which is a relation to the monkey that went to the moon.
0: And uh, there were talking toy bobbleheads of Albert Einstein.
1: Yeah, which which I thought was kind of funny because those weren't really exhibits. They were toys from the gift shop, right? Yeah. So it was a little funny that they came alive in addition to all of the, you know, characters from the museum.
0: And now I remember the balloon dog too that came to life. And when Larry and Amelia Earhart go into a black and white painting...
1: That's right. So a lot more borders are crossed in that second movie. They kind of expanded beyond the world of the first movie, which is what a sequel is supposed to do. Sorry, the third movie.
0: The third one where they go to a museum in London, and it was one of the last films of Robin Williams, as well as the final film of Mickey Rooney. Wow. And what was the plot of that one? Once again, Larry is the night guard and it's set years after the first, and his son is now a teenager and getting ready for college.
1: That's right. So we get to see Nick grown up for the first time, which, again, is important because Nick becomes the main character of this new fourth movie.
0: The third film with that plot, I think, is a bit Toy Story 3-esque. How so? It's about Andy going to college. Oh,
1: okay, yeah, I totally see that. We're watching a formerly minor character grow up and embark on a new challenge in his life. And the museum characters help him with that.
0: Yes, I know. Like, I know um, like Hugh Jackman played Sir Lancelot.
1: Yes, they got another iconic actor to play a new character in that one, which I thought was great. He was the villain, but temporarily. Yes, just like the characters in the first movie, he becomes a good character by the end.
0: That's right. I mentioned a few more other things. I remember Jonah Hill was in the second night at the museum as Brundon, who Larry mistook for Brandon. And Rebel Wilson was in the third movie as a security night guard of the British Museum. Oh, that's
1: right. I totally forgot that Rebel Wilson was in that one. That's so fun. Wow, they really got a, an impressive crew of actors for these movies. And it makes sense, you know, because if you're an actor, why wouldn't you want to be in one of the night at the museum movies?
0: I remember, yes. And then the fourth one, which is entirely animated, and I forgot to mention the second one had a tie-in video game. Oh, very cool. The third one is entirely animated. And unlike the other ones, 1492 is not involved with it. And it was released on Disney Plus. Can you explain what fourteen ninety two is, Ezra? Known for producing films like like a ad- famous Adam Sandler comedy movies.
1: That's right. So they're the production company that did the first three.
0: Which were directed which were directed by Sean Levy. That's right. So this fourth one
1: is definitely a departure because it's got a different director and a different production company, which is probably why it's entirely animated instead of Live action, in keeping with the other movies,
0: and it has different cast members.
1: That's right. They found a new actor for the voice of Grown Up
0: Nick, who becomes the becomes the new Watch Guard, the new
1: Night Guard. Yeah. Do you think there are other reasons that they made this fourth movie
0: all animated, Ezra? Probably could make it like a spiritual successor to the three. And I know, uh, in this one, what do you mean a spiritual successor? But like similar but different kind of thing that's a lot made like years later and i know it's the, the follow up to the night at the museum night at the museum battle of the smithsonian night at the museum secret of the T- and secret of the tomb and this one is called night at the museum Kamunra rises again where Kamunra, the villain of the second film returns to get his revenge so you're saying it's distantly res-
1: related and extends the original plot line of the first three movies but it doesn't exactly follow the traditions of the first three movies.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying it does have the return of Kamunra, who plots on getting his revenge. That's right.
1: So we have a distinct villain once again, and it's one we've seen
0: before. Um, And again, it has like Sacagawea, Theodore Roosevelt, the Easter Island hen, the T-Rex, and all of those others from the other three films.
1: Yes, which they probably did to keep it consistent because people love those characters.
0: I have read the 1993 children's picture book, The Night at the Museum, which inspired the films. Oh, what's it like? Fun and interesting and colorful, but it's different than the movies more people know. Oh, really? How so? Like, the, the watch guard has a different name. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a daughter instead of a son. Oh. And it did get some follow-up books, but the sequels are not based on the sequels to the original book.
1: Gotcha. Was the children's book mostly pictures or mostly words?
0: Mostly pictures.
1: Got it. So it was very visually stimulating. That makes sense for a book about a museum.
0: Yes, and same idea. Like Shrek is loosely based on a children's picture book, and so was Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Those were all based on children's books, which they late, which of course later became famous movies.
1: Well, as we've talked about over this whole. Over this whole podcast, a lot of children's movies are based on children's books.
0: Yes, and they have to make them different from the books.
1: They, d- they do. There are definitely some key differences between what you can do with a book and what you can do with a movie, especially when it's a kid's book and kids can't read all that much. Movies deliver a lot more information than what a kid would be able to read. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Anything else you want to say about Night at the Museum, Ezra?
0: It's a fun, unique kind of idea, kind of like Toy Story, of having inanimate objects coming to life. Yes, and I personally
1: am very interested to see what they do with the new animated version and how it stays true to or departs from the original live-action Ben Stiller movies.
0: Yes, I know, and I really love those films. They're hilarious, too, and clever.
1: They are. All right, let's go ahead and move into Trivia. We have to answer last week's trivia question about the Santa Clauses.
0: What song played in the beginning of the trailer for the Santa Claus 3, the Escape Clause from 2006?
1: And the answer is... In
0: the Hall of the Mountain King.
1: That's right. A really classic song that... For some reason is Christmassy. I think it's just because it has to do with mountains, which people associate with snow, which is associated with the North Pole. But
0: But more like affiliated with like fairy tales.
1: That too. That too, definitely. That's a good point. But it's a very exciting song. It builds tension for sure in the trailer. And it's a pretty rendition of it, I think.
0: Yeah, I know. And I remember Hair Up from DreamWorks Animation's Trolls was a remix with that. That's
1: right. Great. So for this week, we're going to ask a question about the Night at the Museum movies. And this question you're going to have to really ponder over because this actually is our last episode of the season. So Ezra and I will be taking a few weeks off from the Animation and Beyond podcast to celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas and the New Year's and spend time with family. And we'll be back sometime in January.
0: Yes. And we all wish you a happy holidays. happiest of
1: holidays. So, let's give them this last trivia question to mull over. Ezra?
0: What game in one scene of the movie of the third night at the museum did one of the characters play on her computer?
1: If you think you know the answer. Well, we've got a long time to go before the next episode, so go ahead and watch the movie and find out for yourself. But be sure to come back and join us in January when we relaunch
0: for Season 6. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Bye! Happy Holidays! Goodbye! See you next year! See
1: you next year!